during our Bible class hour that's going to begin at about 9.50 or so, we're going to be studying from John chapter 3, and I want to go ahead and, and get a jump start on that by asking you to go in your Bible to John chapter 3. When you go in your Bible to John chapter 3, I want to start reading with the first couple of verses there. In John chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. When I was on a tour, or when the tour group I was with a few years ago in Israel traveled to Jerusalem, we were told, we were told to be careful. We were told to be careful in Jerusalem, especially at night. Why? Well, because Jerusalem is, is dangerous. Jerusalem is very dangerous. It's very dangerous, especially at the nighttime. They're beggars. There are thieves. There are violent men on many of the narrow streets. That's exactly what you will find if you go to Jerusalem today. And that's also what you would have found if you went to Jerusalem in the time of Jesus. You see, in the time of Jesus, Jerusalem was very dangerous. It was a very unsafe place, especially at night. And yet, for this man named Nicodemus here, he doesn't seem to care. He doesn't seem to be too overly concerned about the dangers that could be found on the dark streets of Jerusalem. In fact, here, at the beginning of this chapter, we find him traveling the dark streets of Jerusalem because he has... He has to see Jesus. He has to talk to Jesus. He has to know more about this man who was causing such a stir in the land of Israel. The scripture says that Nicodemus traveled at night in Jerusalem to go and meet Jesus. That is a very interesting thing that the Bible tells us there because according to verse number one, who is Nicodemus? Well, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He is part of a religious group of people whose name means the separate ones. The Pharisees were the separate ones. They wanted to be separated from the rest of the Jews. They believed that following strong traditions and man-made rules and regulations, that would help somebody come to know God better. That would help somebody become more holy and devout. That's what they promoted. And Jesus constantly rebuked their kind of thinking. Jesus constantly clashed with the Pharisees, and Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews. That means he's a man of power and influence, and unlike many of the other Pharisees who had personal encounters with Jesus, Nicodemus seems to believe in Jesus. Nicodemus seems to be impressed with Jesus. He at least believes that Jesus is a man of God. 
We know that because in John 3 and verse 2, the Bible says that this man came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, Rabbi, we know, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. While Nicodemus may not have yet been ready to acknowledge Jesus as the prophesied Messiah, he at least believed that Jesus was a man of God. He at least believed that Jesus was a teacher that had been sent from heaven. He believed that because of the signs, the miracles that the Lord was performing. Now look at how the Lord responds to that. In John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you that you must be born again. Where in the world, where in the world did that come from? Where in the world did that come from, Jesus? Nicodemus never said anything about being born again. Nicodemus never said anything about water in the spirit. Nicodemus never even said anything about the kingdom of God. So why are you bringing that up? Why are you bringing this up out of nowhere? Why are you bringing up being born again in a personal conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus? Why are you doing that? Why well, believe that for us to understand while the Lord is bringing up this subject from what appears to be out of nowhere, it is important for us to remember what John says in the previous verses. Go back to John 2, and we got to put this with verse number 23. In verse number 23, before telling us about this encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus, it says in John 2 and verse 33, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing the signs which he was doing. Well, Nicodemus was part of that group, right? Well, look at verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he what? He knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew. He knew what was in man. Notice how we find a quality of deity that Jesus possessed even while he was on the earth. Notice how while Jesus was on the earth, the scripture says that he knew all men. He knew what was in man. He knew what was in man's heart. He knew what was in man's thoughts. He knew what was in Nicodemus' heart and thoughts on this occasion. He knew what caused Nicodemus to come to him and engage with him in a private conversation he knew that the reason why Nicodemus came to see him at night was because he wanted to know more. He wanted to learn more. He wanted to learn more about Jesus. He wanted to learn more about the kingdom of God. He wanted to learn more about the message that he and John the baptizer was preaching about. Jesus knew what Nicodemus really wanted. And so instead of continuing to beat around the bush, Jesus says, let's go ahead and bring up the subject. 
Let's go ahead and talk about what you really want to talk about, Nicodemus. Let's talk about the kingdom of God. Let me help you understand that if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, then you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to be born again. You're going to have to experience the new birth. Jesus told Nicodemus that experiencing the new birth is absolutely critical. It is absolutely necessary. Notice again, verse 3, John 3, 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see. He cannot even see the kingdom of God. In verse number 5, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. In verse number seven, he says, I'd be amazed when I say to you that you must, you absolutely must be born again. Notice how Jesus says that the new birth is absolutely critical. It is absolutely critical to enter into the kingdom of God. It is absolutely critical for one to be saved and adopted into the family of God. Nicodemus really needed to understand this. Nicodemus really needed to buy into this idea because like most Jews during that time, Nicodemus probably was trusting in his physical lineage. He probably, he probably had his trust in his physical race. He probably walked around with a mentality that said, well, you know, since I'm a Jew, since I'm a Hebrew, since I'm a physical descendant of the patriarch Abraham, then you know what that means? That means I'm okay. That means I'm good. That means that I am a child of God and I'm always going to be a child of God. I'm going to automatically be part of the Messiah's kingdom. Nicodemus probably was walking around in his life with that kind of mentality like most of the Jews. And if he was, the Lord wanted him to know that he was wrong. He was dead wrong. It was not going to work that way in the kingdom of God. If he or any other Jew or any other person for that matter was going to be part of the kingdom of God, then he was going to have to be born again. He was going to have to be born again, not physically, but spiritually. A person's physical race or their physical nationality that wasn't going to help them when it came to being part of the kingdom of God. Jesus wants Nicodemus to understand that the new birth, the new birth, it is absolutely critical. And so let me just ask you this morning, have you experienced that? Have you experienced the new birth? Have you been born again? I submit to you that if you're a Christian this morning, if you're a disciple if you are part of the kingdom of God, which is also the church of our Lord, you have. You have been born again. You have been someone who's experienced the new birth. According to Jesus, this language, born again, Christian, that we hear so often in our culture today, that is ridiculous language. The language born again Christian is absolutely ridiculous. You know why? Because it's redundant. 
But because it seems to imply that a person can become a Christian without being born again. It seems to make being born again the upper echelon of New Testament Christianity. Jesus completely blows that kind of thinking out of the water. Do you see that? Notice how Jesus says that being born again is not something you do to become part of the upper echelon of New Testament Christianity. It's not something you do to take your Christianity to the next level. It's not something you do because now you're really ready to start living for the Lord as a Christian. Instead, it's something you do to become a Christian. It's something you do be to become a disciple. It is something that you do to become part of the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, he seems to understand at least that much. In John 3 and verse 4, he said to Jesus, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Can he? Is Nicodemus really asking that? Does Nicodemus really think that? Does Nicodemus really think that the Lord is talking about a person entering to their mother's womb a second time and being born again through that process. Of course not. Of course, Nicodemus doesn't really believe what he is saying, but he is doing something that we all do in, in communication with other people from time to time, and that is he's prodding Jesus. He, he's being kind of sarcastic with Jesus. He's nudging Jesus to explain to him more. He's saying something ridiculous because he wants Jesus to keep going. He wants Jesus to explain himself. He wants to know how exactly does a person do this? How exactly does a person be born again? How exactly does a person receive this new birth experience? He wants Jesus to continue and continue to explain yourself. And so Jesus obliges him. In verse 5, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Notice the process or the path or the course that a person must take to be born again the Lord's way. Notice how the person is going to be born again the Lord's way then there are two elements that must be involved in that process. They must be born again of water and the spirit. Water and the spirit. Jesus says that unless you are born again of water and the spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Question, what does it, that mean? What does it mean to be born of water and the spirit. Well, let's just start with the first one, the obvious one. Let's start with the water. Let's start with the water. Not too long ago, I was listening to a preacher or watching a preacher on TV say that if you want to be born again, then all you got to do is believe and say a prayer. He said, all you got to do is say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. He says that if you just say that simple prayer, he believes that you got born again. He said that to millions and millions of people. The problem with that, though, is that's not what Jesus says. That's not what Jesus says here in John chapter 3. 
Jesus says here that the new birth doesn't require repeating the words of a TV preacher. Instead, it involves some water. It involves some H2O. Specifically, it involves being baptized or immersed in H2O. Here, Jesus, he's clearly talking about water baptism. He's clearly talking about the same thing that the Ethiopian eunuch experienced in Acts 8 in verse 36, when after hearing the preacher Philip preached to him about Jesus, they were traveling on the road in his chariot, and he saw some water, and he said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Jesus is talking about the same thing that you find there in Acts chapter 8. He's talking about the same thing that Cornelius and his household experience in Acts chapter 10 and in verse number 47, when after there was confirmation from heaven that salvation was now available to the Gentiles, Peter said, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized. There in Acts chapter 10, Jesus and Peter are talking about the same thing. Jesus is talking about the same thing that Peter was talking about in Acts 10. And he also was talking about the same thing that Peter talks about in 1 Peter 3, verse 21. When, as Peter talks about how water was involved in the salvation of Noah and his household in the day of the great flood, Peter says in the same way baptism, that is baptism in water, now saves us. Peter and Jesus are talking about the same thing. They're not talking about two different things. Peter is talking about water baptism. Jesus is talking about water baptism. If Jesus is not talking about water baptism here, then I don't have a clue what he is talking about. He is, he's clearly talking about water baptism. You know, I can remember several years ago when I was doing a meeting out in Louisville, Kentucky, and the local preacher for the congregation there asked me to be a guest on a radio program he was doing there in Louisville five days a week. He asked me to be a guest on a couple of those shows and on one particular show, we talked about baptism. We talked about water baptism. It was none scholarly, none complicated, nothing you needed a PhD or a Bible degree to understand. We just talked about water baptism. We just went through these verses. I just went through with you and many other verses. But man, man, did we make a lot of people in Louisville mad on that day. We made so many people mad in Louisville on that day. There was so much resistance that we got on the radio program that day, even though all we did was share what I believe to be clear Bible passages we received one phone call after another from people throughout the city telling us that we were absolutely crazy. They called us liars. They called us deceivers. They called us false teachers. There was one preacher there who called in, and he called me an idiot. He called me stupid. He said, you better get that guy out of Louisville as quick as you can and get him back to Middle Tennessee. That's what he said. He did not like what the Bible had to say about water baptism, but you know what? He needs to take that up with Jesus, doesn't he? He needs to take that up with Peter. 
He needs that. He needs to take that up with, with what Jesus says here in John chapter three. Jesus said, not Sean. Jesus said that if you're going to be born again His way, then you're going to have to get immersed in some water. But not only do you got to be in the water, not only is water involved in the process. You know what else is involved? The Spirit. The Spirit. Jesus says. And unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What does that mean? What does Jesus mean when he says that you got to be born again of the spirit? I mean, is being born again of the spirit something mysterious? Is it something miraculous? Is he saying that? In order for me to be born again, the Holy Spirit's got to get in my body. The Holy Spirit's got to get inside my body, and he's got to cause me to do all kinds of things. I got to speak in tongues. I got to foam at the mouth. I got to shout, scream, kick, see visions, see dreams, do cartwheels up and down the aisles. Is that what Jesus is talking about when he says I got to be born again of the Spirit? A lot of people believe that. A lot of people believe that's, that's exactly what the Lord is talking about, but, but the Lord says something different. The Bible says something different. Go in your Bible to John 16. Look at John 16, please, in verse 12. In John, the 16th chapter, in verse 12, Jesus says, I have many more things to say to you. John 16, 12. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things the Father has are mine, therefore I say that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Now, who, who is Jesus talking to here? Well, here, Jesus is talking to the apostles, not talking to us. Not talking to me, not talking to you, not talking to future believers today. He's talking to the apostles. He's telling the apostles that when he leaves them to go back to heaven, he's going to send them somebody. He's going to send them the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth is the Holy Spirit. He's going to send them the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not just going to reveal to them some of the truth, but he's going to reveal to them all the truth. He's going to reveal to the apostles everything that God wants us to know. Practically speaking, that means that everything we have in the Bible, everything we have in the gospel, it came from the Holy Spirit. The information we have about Jesus, it came from the Holy Spirit. The information that we have that he's a son of God, he's the Lord, he's the Christ. He died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead. That all came from the Holy Spirit. The information that we have, we're sinners. The information we have that we've all violated the law of a holy God and we deserve to be lost and the only way to receive forgiveness for our sins is to believe in Jesus, repent of our sins, and be baptized in water for forgiveness of sins. That all came from the Holy Spirit. The information we have about the church and about worship that pleases God, and about daily discipleship, and about heaven and hell, and a bunch of other stuff, all that, all that came from the Holy Spirit. 
All that information came from the spirit of truth. And when we believe it, trust it and obey it, you know what happens to us? We're converted. We're converted unto God and we're born again unto God. Go in your Bible to first Peter chapter one, please. In first Peter chapter one. Peter has a lot to say about being born again. And he's talking to people who had who had been born again. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number, or chapter 1, I'm sorry, in verse number 3. 1 Peter 1 and verse 3. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to what? Be born again. Born again. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. These people were born again. How were they born again? Well, drop down to verse 23. Verse 23. For you have been born again. There it is again. You've been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory, like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the fire falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Notice how Peter says that being born again of the spirit, it means simply being converted by the spirit. It means being converted by the revealed teachings of the spirit, which is the word of God. Only when we are converted by the word of God, not the teachings of men, will we experience the new birth that Jesus says is absolutely critical to our salvation. Jesus says we got to be born again. And we got to be born again of water and the spirit. And when we are born again, let me close with this. Our new birth should be evident. It should be evident in our lives. When I say it should be evident in our lives, what I mean is when people in the world look at us, when they watch us, when they observe how we live our daily lives, they should see something. The people in the world should see something different. They should see something special and unique. They should see something new. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, Paul says that when we get baptized, we are buried into the death of Jesus. We die to our sins and we are raised or resurrected to walk in newness of life. We live a new kind of life after we get baptized. He talks about that more in Ephesians chapter 4. Look over at Ephesians 4, please. I really like this in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse number 22, the Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians 4 and verse 22, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Have a new mind, have a new kind of thinking. And you put on the new self, the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Notice how Paul talks about two different people there. He talks about 
the old self and the new self. Who was the old self? Who was the old self? Well, the old self is the person that we were before we became Christians. It's the person who has not been born again. It is the person who is still in their sins and is separated from God. It is the person who at one time was a liar and a cheat and was having sex outside of marriage. It is the person who was dishonest and who cursed and who laughed at dirty jokes. It is the person who had an attitude of pride and bitterness and greed and materialism and an indifference towards the things of a spiritual nature. The person who is the old self is the person who wasn't born again. It's the person that we were before we gave our lives to the Lord. Paul talks about the old self, but he doesn't just talk about the old self in verse 24. He talks about the new self. He also talks about the new self. Who is the new self? Well, the new self is the opposite of the old self. The new self is the person who has been born again. It is the person who has been born of water and the spirit. It is the new creature in Christ. It is the person who has been recreated in righteousness and holiness of the truth. It is the person who put to death and completely abandoned the sinful things that he used to do. The person who no longer commits fornication. The person who no, no longer lies and steals and is full of greed and materialism. The person who has put to death bitterness and uncontrolled anger and an unforgiving spirit and cursing and filthy entertainment and going to clubs and bars and drinking and doing anything else that is outside of the will of God. The new self, the new self. It's the person who has been born again. It is the person who didn't just get wet when they were baptized, but they were truly converted. It is the person who doesn't just read their Bibles every day, but they live the Bible every day. It is the person who doesn't just talk the talk, but they also walk the walk. They have new habits, a new kind of attitude, a new kind of thinking. They have new kind of priorities. They are new in every part of their lives, and that newness is evident to the people that they interact with every single day. These are the facts that the Bible gives us about the new birth. And my final question is, is do you need that? Do you need to be born again? Do you need to experience the new birth? You know, over the past couple of weeks here at Monta Vista, we've been blessed to see three different people experience the new birth, haven't we? Sister Elaine, Brother James, and Brother Mark. All three of those people have been blessed by God to hit the reset button on their spiritual lives. Whatever sins they may have committed in their past were forgiven by God. They were forgotten by God. They were washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. The new birth provided all three of those people 
with a new opportunity to have a relationship with God. And if you need to begin this new year by also experiencing the new birth, then come to the front right now and we'll help you. Let's stand. Let's sing together.